0: Well, good morning. We are on the second week of a a journey in November and December through the parables of Jesus to show what the Advent did and how it changed things fundamentally. When you read the parables, not as just moral stories, but rather um, as illustrations of what the world is now because Jesus happened jesus occurred he entered history and because of that everything there's a hinge point there everything changes we we live in a well-ordered society and you might not realize that because you've been watching the news but in real life we have a very well-ordered society most of us will get through our lives without running into riots and without being a victim of a serious crime and with um our kids coming home safely at the end of the day. We have systems in place. We have police and sheriffs, we have military, yes. We also have nurses and doctors and uh, hospitals. We have all of this stuff. And it deals with disorder, with crime, trespass, or harms to person and property. What we need to remember is this is not something all people have always had. This is not the norm when you look at history. In fact, it's not the norm if you look at current events in some places on the planet. For most of humans' existence on the planet, you had no rights. We, we could argue there because we're, we're in America. Um, and you would say, no, we are God-given rights. Fair enough. You had no guarantee that you would ever find anybody to recognize that right. How's that? Because there was no system to protect you. There was no written set of rights, no written set of laws. In fact, those of you that uh, have worked with the law know that in, in Breton, what they refer to as common law doesn't mean it was ever written down. It's just the way they do things. And therefore, they can change the way they do things suddenly. And it's quite the surprise. It was in England, many centuries ago, that King John was held ransom by his nobles and they forced him to sign a paper. First time uh, that this had occurred, as far as I know in history, of a king signing a paper saying the people have these rights. The Magna Carta. It had some influence upon the the Constitution when it would be written here. But it, it said there's an official state of laws, a set of laws rather, that even the king is subject to. That was new. It was, you know, just uh, go across the water to France if you you must. And you will hear the king there say, l'état c'est moi. The state, I'm the state. So whatever he said was law. However capricious that is, he could make a law, change a law four times in a day and it wouldn't matter. He was the state. This was different to say we're all under one law. Well, if you're all under one law, then somebody better be enforcing it. And so a man named Robert Peeler formed the first British police force. And they were known as Peelers uh, for for a very, very long time. But they made a decision not to be armed. And the reason, and and by the way, there were guns in Britain at that time. Uh, A common person could own one. But um, they decided not to be armed because they said, we police by agreement of the people. The people agree that this law has to be enforced. And what we do is for their benefit. And so it was all done with talking negotiation. And as bizarre as this sounds in um, in a a nation that had the Wild West and the like, the policemen could say, stop, and they generally did. Uh, And if they didn't, the whole crowd would chase them. It was, it was like, no, this is our community, this is our group. The community were, in effect, judges. In, uh, in America, that went sideways. Groups formed what they called councils, citizen councils, that eventually became vigilante mobs and lynchings, and it was just a horrible thing. The Jews had a system in place. They had, well, we all know Moses, Moses the great leader, well, he can't do it on his own, so God says, I'm giving you a group of people to be your counselors, your helpers, 70 people, and these men will, will advise you, this community for you. This will help you lead the people. All kings have counselors. Now, Moses wasn't a king. Don't get hung up on that. The leaders in the community got together, and the leaders understood what the community wanted, do, uh, and here's a very important thing. Among the Jews, the leaders, I'm going to put them over here. If you're listening to the audio, this isn't helpful. Um, and the people are over here. The people do not belong to the leaders. Among the Jews, they were always, the leaders were always to remember, the people are gods. They belong to God. You help them belong to God but you don't ever think they belong to you. Well, the community then would agree upon which laws they thought were more important. For example, that beautiful thing in the, in the Old Testament about the year of Jubilee, when debts are forgiven and all this, we can't find any record it ever happened. It was kind of like the Jews said, that's a really good idea. Little hard, let's not do it. And there were other things like that. And by the way, we're not picking at the Jews. Everybody does this with laws. Um, where do you set your cruise control on the interstate? See, see, that's what I'm talking about. The Jews were never a monolithic, all one-mind people. I mean, there's no way I can say, you walk up to a Jewish person and say, what do the Jews think about? Any more than you can do that to a white person, a black person, a northerner, a southerner. We're not speaking for all of them. But those differences among the Jews, gave rise to very fierce arguments, and even open warfare among the followers of God. Now, how tragic is that? Whenever they've all got the same God, but they differ in what laws He's really wanting us to do, and which are suggestions, and, and, how, and, and, and what you should be thinking or wearing, oh my goodness. Because each group thought it had the truth it spent an inordinate amount of time judging other followers. For they sincerely believed God wanted them to judge the others. The Jews in Jesus' time felt a, a religious, spiritual obligation before God to despise Samaritans. And so they did. And they would, you know, just pull in their robes as they walked by one so none of that dust gets on me and it was it was awful but they thought god wanted it they thought that's what god wanted and that's what religious people had done they believed that they were god's hands to set right what has gone wrong if ever you want to um do a study of division in religion you're going to find that it almost always starts with somebody getting together with a group To straighten out things and fix it almost always something's wrong here when I was a boy they would sometimes say God has no hands but our hands and and what they meant was for us to go do something Christian but that's blasphemy God has lots of things we don't have and he can do stuff with or without us it's it's are you going to enjoy it and be a part of it Uh, don't make God stop this car it, he, he wants, because he will. And if ever you see his hand coming back, my dad just would punish whoever he randomly was within reach. It was just like, you know, and so uh, <clears throat> God's not quite that way. But when Jesus came, all of this changes. Let's take a look at a passage in Matthew and then in Romans. Do not judge. What? Or I thought that was our job. Or you too will be judged. Fair enough. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. That's really important. We get that in our head. And with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? We could stop right there. That's a great question in and of itself. You know, who, who told us to go do that? And pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. The old version's called that a log. I like that. But it's probably a plank. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? By the way, that's Semitic humor. They would have been laughing. We look at that and we're going, because we try to out-Christian Jesus. You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Huh. Romans 12. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, I love the qualifiers here, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. That's actually a little fun. You know, let God have a turn. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Whoa, this is a change. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And I want you to hold that slide for a second. When I can remember Bible classes when I was little. And it, it, the way it was taught was, if you do good to them, it makes them miserable. And that will bring them to Jesus. And I'm going, I'm not really sure that's where Paul was going. But fair enough. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? Anybody else's heart just get hit? Oh, my goodness. To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Notice something. Now that Jesus has come, the mob has been dispersed. The councils are stripped of their power to enforce the law and exact vengeance. And we, as a religious people, not as a society. Please understand, we're talking religious here. We've laid down our police powers. We don't, we don't police. Who gets to take the communion? Who gets to actually be considered in or out? We don't do that. Because that was removed when Jesus came. And these stories you're about to hear will be very stark reminders that our police powers are gone. We are now following Jesus, not a group that does the enforcement. We'll get more into that in just a bit. The Lord needs people living their faith in humility and obedience. He does not need marshals roaming the countryside, making sure others are obedient. And that's new. In the Old Testament, they were supposed to check. They were supposed to watch each other. There were reasons. This this group, the Jews, had to stay alive to bring Jesus to us. And God's not done with the Jews. He loves them as much as he loves anyone. But they had to stay together for this. That's why they had to watch what they ate. Had all kinds of laws of cleanliness, laws of gathering at certain times. The cohesiveness and survival was absolutely required. Now, we all have the gift of Jesus. And Jesus says, all right, now back off. Your king has come. You don't get to be little kings over your own territory. And Jesus gives us stories to help with this. Two of them are found in Matthew 13. That's where we'll spend the rest of the morning. Well, not till noon, but you know what I mean. Um, Maybe. Uh, Matthew 13, one of my favorite stories. And it just sits there untaught in most churches. Once again, I, I like the way it does it. Once again. The kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. They sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What's going on here? Well... There are a lot of ways to fish with a net. One of the most effective and wasteful is using a dragnet. And the term used here means it's a dragnet. What that means is that you lower it, and generally speaking, there'll be two or three or four boats, and they start rowing, and they're going through the lake, and everything's getting caught. In Europe, this is a serious issue because the uh, international waters aren't far out enough because they were made those years, you know, what, centuries ago that was decided. And people have used drag nets and wiped out a lot of the seafood that people used to live on because the nets have a tight mesh and they catch everything. It's wasteful. It's, it's like tuna and dolphin. You've heard a lot about that, I'm sure. So as it comes together, they pull it up and the Bible says, there are fish of all kinds in there. I love to go to aquariums I don't want one in my house because that's that's an obligation you know and not not interested but um, I love to go to big um, aquariums like in Chattanooga or Atlanta or the like because when God made sea creatures he was showing off it's like you know we've not had an eight-legged thing that can change the way he looks in a half second let's do that ooh give him a hard tooth and make him kind of mean you know it's, it's just amazing I love to watch it and so when he says it comes out and everything is there it is so what do you do now well many of the creatures in the net are not suitable for food they're not suitable for sale so they're tossed out if they're fortunate they're back in the water before they die but most of the time the waste was just awful Jesus said, this is like the kingdom of heaven. God's word has gone out into the world and all kinds of people are going to be attracted to it. Even the kinds you don't like, that's, I'm not going to define that because that's different for every human. We all have those little tripwires in our head going, oh, you know, God love everybody, but I'm, I'm letting you off the hook on that one. You know, um, no, they all come in and some of them are going to be very, very different from you. They're going to be very, very different from me. Some of them might be different enough that we even wonder, are they really Christian at all? And that's not our job. Once Jesus came, that job was taken away from humanity. We might be concerned about what they thought about that doctrine or what they think about that doctrine or the way they worship. God says, who are you to judge another man's servant? I know people that will go to the mat and have a knife fight over Acts 2.38, baptism for remission of sins, who absolutely ignore all the passages about do not judge, do not speak harshly, you're not in charge. Ignore them all. Because it's easier to be baptized than it is to, to love somebody you don't like. Do you know what I mean by that? Right? You can love somebody without liking them like is a, is more of a tender affection thing love is a we want the best for them we're going to help them we're going to feed them or the like that it's it's a tough road here we might be uncomfortable with them we might not feel at ease the way they apply their faith for example their faith may drive them one political direction while your faith drives you another how are you going to treat each other you're going to make a judgment What about, this one supports this charity, that one, that charity, or different missions? Or what about hermits who loved God so much they went away from the world and lived in caves and on top of poles? I can remember years ago when I was up in the Detroit area that I I, I said, "I, I don't get what service the hermits were really doing for humanity by withdrawing and not talking to anybody for decades. Well, a couple of professors came up to me And they were saying, well, we study the hermits and we love them greatly and you were wrong. And they started talking to me and it dawned, yeah, I was wrong. I was absolutely wrong. I decided to judge the hermits, which is generally safe. They don't tend to find out. It's rather like going on Twitter and saying bad things about the Amish. Likely. It's, but I was wrong. Who am I to judge the hermits? And, and their faith obviously was greater than mine. But I want you to notice something about the fish in the net. I need you to underline this in your head. The fish are never allowed to form committees to decide what fish is in the net. The angels take care of that. Don't you dare cross a union line and do what the angels are supposed to be doing. Our job is to get in the net. His job is to decide if we really belong there. And the good news is God's on our side. Didn't you see that in Romans 14? It says to his own master he'll stand or fall, and he will stand, for God will make him stand. God wants to save we look for reasons not to. And that's why we, that was taken away from us. We're not allowed to do that anymore. The angels will take care of all of that. We are expressly forbidden from making that sort of judgment. The log inspect thing, I've still got a log in my eye. What about you? Now, brace yourself. As soon as I get rid of that thing, I'm coming for you. But... <clears throat> But so far, I'm aging rapidly and the log's still there. So if I am coming for you, I'm going to be moving slow. You're probably safe. And yet, Christians feel it is important to gather and write a paper against that Christian or question that Christian or I don't know about that. And they remember Paul don't do that. Who are you to judge another man's servant? Jesus is going to return to this theme because it's a real big shift in humanity. Back during, well, in most of societies, there was not a separation between the secular and the spiritual in that the king was also in charge of the religion. In a figurehead sense, for example, Queen Elizabeth is the, um, is the head of the Church of England. Does that mean she gets to make decisions? Not so much, not anymore. They used to be. In fact, the monarch was such the head of the church that they can have people beheaded and burned. Can't do that now. I'm, I'm pro can't doing that now, by the way. <clears throat> Very much in favor of that. We, we're not in charge of the church. No king is, except the king in heaven. And we have to remember this. Who are you? Who are you to walk in there and say, this person belongs, but that person does not? Who are you to write an article saying, I don't like what they're doing over there? Who who are you? That was what Paul said. Jesus put it in pretty stark terms as well. Look at this parable. Jesus told them another parable. By the way, Matthew 13, that whole section is just one after another. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. By the way, just stopping there, my dad always wanted us to grow a garden, but he would sometimes make a terrible tactical error of sending me out to weed it, and I couldn't tell a weed from a plant. So I solved the garden issue. We no longer had to go weed. Um, He did not laugh. Anyway, um, the owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? In the Old Testament, the answer would have been yes. No. Why? The king is here. Advent. Because while you're pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned and then gather the wheat and bring it to my barn. Who gets to do that? The harvesters. Who are the harvesters? They're the angels under the direction of God, not us. If ever... Just a word of advice, day of judgment, you find yourself over on the safe side, yay, and you look around and see some people you don't think belong there, don't mention it. (laughs) Let it go. Heaven's a big place, you might not run into them again. Just, it's all eternity, so the odds are poor, frankly. But um, people, people used to do this weed seeding a lot. When they knew enemy was coming, uh, you didn't have standing armies, you didn't have defenses like we have now, and so they would actually burn their own homes, burn their crops, try to leave a wasteland out there, so that the army would starve to death and have to retreat. Then they'd go find their, um, their homes and they, great suffering, reestablished themselves. People blew up castles. There are castles in Scotland that were blown up during the wars in the 1700s and they never did get around to fixing them because their castles are cold, drafty, awful places anyway. And so they, they sit there and people say they blew. they blew up their own castle. Why? So they couldn't be held against them. And they would, enemies would do that. They would come around, throw weeds or salt. The Romans are really good about salting so that nothing would grow when they left in politics, in churches, in schools, in our neighborhoods. We want somebody to do something. Something happens. We, we, we got to do something. We uh, um, had a directory up at our church in Michigan, and it was a dead tree directory, because back then the internet wasn't a thing, so, you know, it was all printed out. And one of our visitors got a hold of it and started calling everybody, to come over and do a presentation to sell them a set of knives. I guess a kitchen knife. I didn't really ask. Well, a couple members got, came to me and said, "Oof! What do, we, what do we do? What do we do? And a couple of the staff even said, oh, we, ought, we ought to shut down the directory and uh, only have that for staff then. And I said, don't make policy based upon an abnormal event. It's okay not to act. It's okay to be silent. That's a really hard one. You're in a room sometimes with a bunch of people all wanting to be shown to be wise and smart. And know, I've got something to say and I'm just back there going, I do too, but God won't let me do it. I'm not allowed. Being silent is okay. Not hitting send is all right. You're allowed not... You're allowed to let error just traipse right in front of you because you are to love them. Don't overcome evil with evil. Don't match their judgment with your own. Love them enough. They'll start paying attention. Jesus says if you start new laws, new shaming, new shunning, any of these, all you're going to do is hurt the innocent people. And isn't he right? Of course he's right. But this is all new. This is all new. In the Old Testament there were times where the faithful were called to battle. Get your mighty men of valor, find your swords, beat uh, beat your, your your plowshares into swords. There were sometimes you had to find a way to go out to battle. There are other times they were called to stone someone to death, which is a particularly nasty, brutish thing. And so the entire community was called. Other times they were called to publicly shame the one who'd done wrong. And then Jesus came. And parables like these are told. He showed us that our world has now forever changed because Jesus is here. Now, if some of you are hearing a little echo in your head going, no, wait, wait, wait. Um, Matthew 7 says, do not judge. But it also says, by their fruit, she shall know them. And my... Preachers growing up would say, so we're not judges, but we're fruit inspectors, which is another way of saying we're judges. Stop it. Jesus did not contradict himself. You're allowed to notice that's going wrong. And you're allowed to go up and pull alongside them, talk to them, love them, and through love, one of you needs to change, maybe. Like me with the hermits. I needed that correction, got that correction, grateful for the correction. But we have to make sure we do this in love and not as if we had the power to decide who's in or out. Because we just do not. That has been removed from us on purpose. We're not throwing away God's law, we are now ambassadors of the way of life that God modeled for us. And Jesus, We are ambassadors of Christ bringing in a new age of heaven wherever we step. If the world gives you hell, give them heaven, because that's the way we do things. If the world's going dark, shine brighter. We don't go dark to meet it. We have a code of conduct given us because we believe the ultimate reality Jesus came. And that changes everything. Mark, would you bring your team up? And I'm going to have, if you would please, if you'll stand. I want you to think about what is God's attitude toward the weak, the broken, the ones not doing so well. Look at this. This is a referral to Jesus Christ. Here is my servant whom I've chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. By the way, we hear proclaim justice. What do we think? The hammer, the prison, the sentences, sin, no? Watch how he defines this. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. That means he's not leading a mob. A bruised reed he will not break. How gentle is our new lord a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory in his name the na- the nations will put their hope we live in a new world everything's changed jesus is here there is a king in heaven and he is not us may we remember who the king is and overcome evil with good and know when we should simply say nothing and let God deal with it. God bless.